You're about to hear my conversation with Brent Joyce. We talk all about inflation, why yields are falling in the fixed income market, how the equity markets responded last week, and get his insight on the most recent activities in China. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schneer, and I'm delighted to be back with Brent Joyce. Brent, why don't we dive right into it? I'd love to get your most recent views on inflation. I know that the last time we talked about this was the last podcast with uh, the Fed meeting, uh, just uh, sur- around that. Love to hear what you're see- thinking about inflation. It was certainly the hot topic of the market, uh, I'd say, for the prior, call it six months or so. So what have you seen lately? Yeah, it's great to be back again, Matthew. Thanks for having me. So what we've seen over the past um, six weeks to six months, I'd say it's probably a little more like six weeks, is a little bit more data. So that's um, important. Uh, We have to think about data in two camps. You have hard data and soft data. Hard data are numbers that are are things we can count, right? Retail sales, uh, inflation prints would be another one. Soft data are forward-looking surveys. So purchasing manager indices would be uh, the most notable one. Um, views that are inflected or, or teased out, dissected, if you will, from the capital markets. So forward-looking break-even measures of inflation okay. that we tease out from the difference between real yields and nominal yields and uh, options pricing and, and uh, so on. So on the inflation front, we've had some, the, the hard data's come in, the numbers have moved higher. That's not a surprise. Uh, it's easy to quantify the base effects. The good news is, a market, capital markets, both stocks and bonds, that were perhaps not buying completely this transitory story as we had, you know, Suez Canal blockages and some some headline sort of esoteric uh, events that fueled inflation, oil prices that were climbing very, very uh, rapidly. Right. Digested some of that stuff now. Oil prices are elevated, but they've, they've, they're not increasing at the same rate as they were two or three months ago. And then on the forward-looking stuff, there is some evidence to suggest that the inflation will be transitory. So market-based forward-looking measures of inflation, so five-year break-even inflation numbers in the U.S. have rolled over and come off their peak. So that's the bond market telling you that we think maybe this inflation being transitory story has, has some legs. The other ones that we've written about and talked about over the last number of weeks, is the survey stuff out of the purchasing manager indices. So both the manufacturing and the services side of the economy have uh, PMI uh, readings. And embedded in the details is this prices paid uh, measure. And if you look at the prices paid measure and you um, graph it up against actual inflation, that's a pretty tight correlation. Okay, And it spiked and peaked on the services side, which is where a lot of the inflation pressure obviously is coming from. Um, given the reopening. The manufacturing side hasn't peaked yet, so we're still seeing prices escalate there. And that's supply chain bottlenecks that we're familiar with. We've talked about how that is what businesses are on this planet to address. Right, Excess demand is a good thing, and, and within time, they'll be able to fix that. On the services side, where the pressure is most acute from the recent reopening, we've seen that number tick down now from its peak. Ever so slight, 
We made note of it the first month that it rolled over and said, you know, one month is not a trend. We just got the most recent print last week and it fell again. So these are nascent signs that the inflation peak is in. Add on top of that, uh, inflation data out of China last week, and we, we look at China for a number of um, reasons uh, across a variety of, of data because they were first into the, the disease and virus and really have been first out of it. Right. And those have rolled over as well. So corroborating evidence that uh, inflation that was uh, ramping up in China has, has peaked potentially. So it's a good news story if you need the inflation to be transitory, which we do. Uh, I still think there is uncertainty. We've got US CPI coming out this week. Um, the market believes the number will come off from the 5% print uh, and that that will be the peak. We'll see uh, where that comes in. This podcast will probably be out by the time that number is uh, in print. And, and there is uncertainty as we move forward as to what is transitory and what is too high. Right. And I've, I've talked about this in the past that the Federal Reserve in the US has been mute on both of those subjects other than to say we want it we believe it will be transitory we don't know what that means we don't even know how to define it and we think it will um we want it to overshoot but we're not going to tell you what that number looks like either so right there's there's still a story to, to tell here great that's a, a great update um we'll obviously keep checking in on on uh, the inflation story uh in future podcasts since it's uh, so uh, important to everything from valuations of uh of, of everything fixed income equities and the like. Yeah. And I mean, we, the break even numbers have come down, but obviously the, the falling yield story more broadly has been a huge part of the narrative over the past six weeks. And some of the unwinding on these inflation fears is, is part of that. Well, maybe we can dive into that. Um, so, so you, you referenced uh, yields uh, coming off um, seems a little counterintuitive when, uh, when the fed has sort of s- suggested that they are going to start thinking about increasing rates um, so what's, what's happening there? How does that make sense? Uh, that, that the yields are coming off just as the fed is saying that they're more, they're looking at either tapering or increasing or, or, or the like. Yeah. So it's been the middle part of the yield curve and the long end of the curve that have come down mm-hmm. more so than the front uh, end of the curve. And it's been really the market likes this story of, well, we see it's transitory. Fed says it's transitory. There's evidence it's transitory. And the Fed is now talking about moving toward the exit. The market's not oblivious to the improvement on the ground. And you can have too much of a good thing, right? So it's better to have a slow move to the exits, which is what the Fed is talking about, than to be seen, the Fed to be seen by the market as sitting on its hands, uh, what me worry, and uh, potentially bringing in the, um, the notion that six months from now, a year from now, 18 months from now, whenever from now that they uh, turn their mind to raising rates, they'll have to do it uh, at a more brisk pace and, um, and a sharper uh, uh, incline for, for raising rates. And so the bond market doesn't want that. The equity market doesn't want that. It doesn't want rising rates at all, but if it has to have them, it's better to be gentle and slow than to be abrupt and, and hard. So, so the idea here, the short end has gone up because the Fed is saying that they're they're looking at uh, raising rates, but mid and long term, uh, the the market is more comfortable with the fact that the Fed will unlikely have to respond in a dramatic fashion because inflation looks like it's transitory. Is that is that the Rationale. Yeah, it's it's the soft landing scenario, Got it. right? It's this Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, that the equity market is 
in my estimation, increasingly priced for mm. uh, that uh, quite sanguine outcome. And it's not that it can't happen. And, and that's why there's, you know, these pieces of evidence that, that it is shaping up that way, that there won't be a policy accident, that inflation will be transitory, that growth will be robust, um, all, all good things. <clears throat> and so the yield coming down story is a confluence of, I'd say, a number of things. Too far, too fast in the, in the first quarter. Right? Right. I mean, the move up was exceptionally sharp. And everybody and their brother and sister were on the side of uh, yields are going higher mm -hmm. right back in February. And so you just had everybody on one side of that trade. That's looks like it's taken longer to unwind than, uh, than otherwise the inflation piece softening that we talked about. So that's a, a piece of the yield story coming out. Um, and, and then there are some legitimate concerns with Delta variant and peak growth, um, you know, that we have to look, look at and the bond markets probably pricing in a little bit of that as well. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, why don't we turn to the equity markets? Uh, and uh, last week was sort of an interesting week. Uh, we had a little bit of volatility, uh, sell off at the beginning and uh, roaring back at the end of the week. Uh, what do you make of the equity markets over the past week? What's uh, accounting for uh, the price movement? I think, you know, the equity market wants to have a little sell off here. <laughs> um, I would see that as being healthy, quite honestly. We've come a long way. Um, you know, have a look at um, you know conditions where your breadth is softening, so that's not so healthy. Even though you're making new highs, it's on fewer and fewer names. Right. And you have these delta variants that are getting more and more attention uh, in the media, particularly the, in the UK, where you have high rates of vaccination and they're still uh, having an issue. You know, as the UK would attest, you know, that's not going to be returned to lockdowns. In fact, in the face of, of this still, this could change, I suppose. It's a week or so away, you know, looking at um, hardly any restrictions uh, right. by, the I think, the 19th of July. And you have a market that's you know, flashing some oversold conditions. So it can be easily spooked. The sell-off was on the Delta variants. Um, and then the rescue package was really that Chinese data. Not only the inflation data that confirmed the transitory, but also a shift in tone from the central bank in China. And when central banks change their tone, that is more important move than if they adjust along the path. And so what does that mean? It means we were all in, in this uh, notion that the Chinese authorities were tightening and you've seen a lot of weakness in Chinese equities on the back of that uh, right. you know, since February. Emerging markets more broadly have suffered because of that. Global equities don't like a um, tightening and re reducing stimulus story out of China. And that seems to have, have at least taken a, a, a bit of a turn. I, don't, I wouldn't say necessarily a U-turn where the social financing data came in quite strong, but also this surprise um, easing, outright easing by the Chinese central bank for the reserve uh, required ratio for banks. And that, again, if you look at China and say they're further down the path, this is what the future holds for others. Um, it's this notion that they have now tightened a little bit and they don't want to overdo it and that they're prepared to loosen up a little bit. Um, and that's, you know, the type of thing that equity markets would like. So that, that was, um, what the rebound was, but I am concerned that you have a narrow leadership um, in the S and P five hundred here. With uh, we're back to the the you know Fang M complex of uh, new economy stocks. Right. Um, interesting. Sticking with China, I guess the other 
uh, piece of news that has come out recently with China is the uh, the IPO of Didi and the ride hailing app and some of the um, uh, response by the the government uh, to that uh, with it not being available uh, through several platforms anymore within China. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts on you know how investors should think about actions like this while uh, investing in China. I know as a firm, we're very bullish on the opportunity uh, that China provides over the medium term to long term uh, for, for those types of investors. Is this something that worries you? How, how much should we be worried about it? It's a complex issue. I would suggest that it is not unique to China in terms of regulatory risk of technology and, and new economy stocks. Hmm. And that's where trying to parse this particular move out, and I think we need to set aside the the names involved here uh, and think more about what does this signal more broadly for the industry of, of new economy type, uh, innovative type, type companies, sure. whether in China or elsewhere, because it's a confluence of internal Chinese politics likely um, there's a story around whether this is a geopolitical move to retaliate against the U.S. blacklisting Chinese companies, right? A little bit of, uh, you know, a slap on, on the hand for, uh, for foreign investors. Right. There's the question as to whether or not this is a move to uh, try to encourage Chinese businesses to not list in the U.S., um, whether for political reasons or simply just as, as to support the home market, right? The A-share market, which has come a, a long, long way. You know, you hinted at, at how bullish we are on this as a long-term opportunity, mm-hmm. us and others. Uh, and it's because that market has come a long way in the last three, four years. So, so there's that angle to it. But then again, this is not unique to just China. The issue around privacy, data privacy, where that meets consumer choice and convenience, you know, where that meets um, innovation, where that meets monopolies and monopolistic business practices, all of these things are very much wrapped up. And this is indicative of all of that. So, you know, the EU is certainly on campaigns around privacy. North America, we are censorship, you know, former president suing tech companies around censorship. You have a sitting president who just issued an executive order, right, to clamp down on anti-competitive practices across a wide swath of industries. So all of this is, is floating around out there. And I, I, I'm i not suggesting that there isn't a, a unique bespoke aspect to this that is about China, but I would remind everybody that these are similar threads, similar stories that are happening across uh, the world when it comes to a landscape that is very fresh and new. Um, society's attitudes toward it are continue to unfold, right? And it is the choice between privacy and, and often the convenience that these devices you know, bring to us. But as, as investors, a few things that I think um, we can take away from this. The cost of capital for businesses when they don't have unfettered access to whatever capital market they wish will go up. Sure. That is a fairly straightforward um, you know, A to B relationship. The regulatory risk in these businesses is something that we, and these are not, I'm not just talking about China, I'm talking about across the planet, is something that uh, is now we've all been reminded of. And you've seen the share prices react in China because of of this move. What worries me is that this story, it's out there, but it's, you know, it's on page 12 of the Wall Street Journal around uh, tech tech regulation 
uh, and taxation maybe is, is part and parcel of that. And as these share prices continue to gallop forward, and you've heard me say it before, these are fabulous businesses with great business models, and and they're very you know becoming more and more investor friendly. But some of that investor friendliness is things like moats that Warren Buffett talks about, and President Biden quoted as saying, "We need to be careful about moats uh, and how much." Um, control certain businesses have over their industry, right? right? So all that is wrapped up in there. So the regulatory risk is, is out there for everybody. The other thing that's a bit of a different angle on this, though, as in, as investors, there is concern that the global capital markets are converging, to, you know, from a correlation standpoint. Okay. And if you think about this, there could be a little bit of a silver lining, aside from all of those other issues that are you know, wrapped up in society and politics and, and different points of view and um, many ways to, to view that. But just selfishly as an asset allocator, if I'm concerned that the capital markets in China are going to become more highly correlated with other equity markets and bond markets around the, around the world, as an asset allocator... I want things that have less correlation in order to build them together. And and maybe calling it a silver lining is a bit of a stretch. Sure. But certainly if you have a differentiated capital markets backdrop yeah. because of the reality around this geopolitical infighting over dominance, et cetera, um, that could be an opportunity where we now have a differentiated risk profile and return characteristics from Chinese capital markets. Uh, than we had, than we otherwise might have, and and that could be an opportunity, you know, to um, to combine assets for uh, for a sum that's greater than than the, the parts. Right. The interesting thing about this, if you think about it, the concern around the on our most investors historically has been that I want to invest in Chinese companies that are ADRs or are listed outside of China. Right. And this sort of flips that on its head as well. It sure. says, well. If I like the company and the business model, and I'm more and more comfortable with the protections that I get investing in the onshore market in China, which there's lots of evidence to suggest that you should be, uh, accounting practices and, and transparency and liquidity and all those things have, have uh, dramatically improved. More room to go, but they've improved. Yeah. Then perhaps one of the ways that I get away from some of this regulatory risk is to be investing onshore as opposed to the ADR, if, if it's that political game that's being played here. So we'll, we'll see. It's time to tell here, but it's a different way to, to think about it, I think. And then from that, it would be active management. It really sure. comes down to being um, important in, uh, in this uh, marketplace. Very interesting. Just to summarize, then, like, it doesn't sound like you're overly concerned about that particular action, that regulatory risk exists in every uh, jurisdiction. Uh, China might be a little bit unique, but ultimately you're, you're rewarded by uh, potentially lower correlation and certainly better expected returns potentially as well. So um, did I summarize yeah, it, that it, fairly? It, it could play out, play out that way. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Well, Brent, thanks very much for, for spending the time. We'll, we'll call it there. I think that was uh, delightful. I appreciate your insights and I uh, look forward to speaking with you in a couple of weeks. Me too. Always a pleasure. Take care. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. 
Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.